realized my dream of playing in the National Hockey League. Uh, I was making good money for the time, like really good money, not, you know, not to, to the degree that the guys are today, but we were making good money. And I had fame, I had notoriety, you know, I'd walk down Young Street in Toronto and people would know who you were. So it stroked your ego, you know, as a, as a young 19 year old kid. But I was really empty in my heart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. Stay up to date when new episodes drop by following along on Instagram at the Toddcast underscore DAC. And friends, download the United Hive app to see testimonies of how the gospel is being shared all over the world. And to be equipped and encouraged to share the gospel yourself, go to everydisciplesent.ca or check out Every Disciple Sent on Facebook and Instagram. My guest today, at the age of 18, was drafted in the first round draft to the Toronto Maple Leafs. He played for the Edmonton Oilers, the Winnipeg Jets, the New Jersey Devils, and the Ottawa Senators for a total of 1,009 games. He is now a chaplain with Hockey Ministries International. He's the Eastern Ontario Regional Coordinator for Hockey Ministries International in the NHL, and he was inducted into the Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame. Let's welcome Laurie Boschman. Hello. Hi, Todd. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you, my friend? Very good, thanks. It's really nice to meet you, and thanks for taking some time to come and chat with us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It's taken a while to hook it up, but we finally uh, we finally found a slot that works. So. Yeah, yeah, we did. You have quite a busy schedule, which is awesome. So, uh, Laurie, just um, I know you're I know you got some uh, tight schedule today. So we really just on this show really love to hear people's testimonies about how Jesus actually became real. And right. uh, so, can you just share that story of? Uh, of, of when that moment was where your faith journey began. Yeah, sure. Todd, I, 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 I'm, I grew up in Western Canada. I'm a Saskatchewan boy. I lived there for the first nine years of, uh, of my life. And when I was nine, we moved East, if you would, to Brandon, Manitoba. And, uh, uh, you know, that's where I really got most of my formal training in hockey. Of course, growing up out West, uh, you know, unlike, uh, it's not unlike, uh, you know, people here in, in Eastern Canada, cause I live in Ottawa now, but people who like hockey, you can play it outdoors, maybe not so much like you can out West because it's colder for longer. And, uh, there's uh, ponds out there on the farm and, and different things like that, that you can skate on. And, and, um, so I, I, played hockey. I played other sports and I was always kind of uh, interested in hockey and I excelled at, uh, at sports in general. But uh, when I moved to Brandon, uh, I, I sort of really got uh, sort of dialed into hockey a little bit. And, you know, I always wanted to play in the NHL like many kids who play hockey, right? That's just a, you know, a dream you have. I never thought that would ever become a reality, but, you know, I just continued to pursue that sort of uh, uh, sort of goal or, or dream, if you would, and played hockey. And, you know, as a 16-year-old, I was able, able to play, uh, uh, you know, junior B hockey in, in Brandon with the Brandon Wheat Kings. And then the next year, uh, I was fortunate enough to make the Brandon Wheat Kings. And for two years, playing with the Brandon Wheat Kings, we had a very strong team. I uh, played with uh, a team uh, my last year in junior that only lost eight games all season in a 72-game in a uh, uh, season. So, so it was pretty, uh, uh, it was pretty fortuitous for me to play with uh, Brian Propry Allison, um, as line mates and Brad McCrimmon was, uh, was my, uh, uh, was our top defenseman there. And, 
there was, uh, I think, 11 of our teammates that year got drafted in the National Hockey League. And we went to the Memorial Cup final and lost uh, in 1979 to the Peterborough Peets. And so, you know, I I guess as I started playing junior hockey, Todd, I, um, you know, and playing at, you know, the highest level, which is the, you know, highest level in, in Canada, which is the junior hockey level, or in the States, it would be like the college level. Uh, I, I could sort of see that maybe there was an opportunity for me to uh, possibly get drafted in the National Hockey League because uh, my agent at the time was Alan Eagleson. And he had said that, you know, there was lots of interest. And and what happened uh, the year I got drafted, Todd, was uh, 1979. And at that time in the world, there was a rival hockey league to the National Hockey League called the World Hockey Association. And the World Hockey Association disbanded in 1979 and four of those teams joined the national hockey league. So at that time it was a 17 uh, league NHL and it turned out to be a 21 team. So Edmonton, Hartford, Winnipeg, and uh, Quebec city were the four teams that, uh, that uh, sort of went over from the world hockey to the NHL. And they had an underage draft that particular year. And so Ellen Eagleson had said, Laurie, you're probably going to get drafted as an underage in this draft. And and so that was the first opportunity, like my last year junior, that I had an opportunity to think, like, maybe there's a chance I could fulfill this dream and, and get drafted and play in the, in the NHL. And, you know, one of the things is, is, is Todd, getting drafted is one thing. You know, I, I live in the Ottawa area, and, of course, I follow the Ottawa Senators and want them to – uh, you know, you know, do well because I live here. We raised our kids here. They're they're Ottawa Senator fans, and sometimes the you know the draft picks, um, you know, every year the first round picks, which are your top picks in, you know, for every team, and the, you know the top prospects of any National Hockey League team. Sometimes they don't turn out. So I knew that getting drafted was one step, and then actually, uh, you know, going to uh, actually make it is another step. So. Uh, at that particular time, after we had played the Memorial Cup uh, and, and lost to Peterborough Peets, uh, you know, I was told that I was going to get drafted and probably be a first rounder. And But um, what was happening at that time in the hockey world is in 1979, the hockey playing countries were getting ready to play in the Olympics in Lake Placid, New York in 1980. That's the miracle on ice where the United States won the gold medal and beat the Russians and, and, and the Czech, Czechoslovakia at the time they were called. And um, so anyways, the hockey world uh, was in, in the summer after the Memorial Cup, Hockey Canada had called me and said, uh, Laurie, we'd like you to come and try out for our, our Olympic team. And my agent said, that's probably a good thing to do. But while we were in uh, in Calgary, went to Calgary to, to uh, you know, to do our two days, um, the NHL amateur draft was going to take place. And that particular year, because they amalgamated those those uh, four uh, World Hockey Association teams. It was a uh, a draft that was held a six round conference call. So uh, so as we were doing two days down in Calgary, uh, myself and another player that got drafted, Paul Reinhardt, they took us down in the basement of the old Calgary Corral, and uh, they told us that. Uh, you know, we were going to get drafted. And of course, this is before the internet and cell phones and all that kind of stuff. So we were down in the basement in 1979 and there was a big phone there, big dial, uh, you know, dial phone that uh, young people today wouldn't even know what that means. <laughs> and uh, I and uh, so anyways, the, the phone rang and, you know, it was, uh, it was uh, 
somebody from the NHL and and uh, they indicated uh, that Toronto Maple Leafs had uh, had drafted me in the first round, ninth overall. And so the first person I talked to was Harold Ballard, who was the owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs at the time. Then Floyd Smith, the first you know coach um, who would be my first coach and. And uh, and then I talked to several other executives on the telephone and they welcomed me and said they were, you know, looking forward to having me at training camp. And, uh, you know, just a, sort of as a side, a Paul Reinhardt got drafted. I forget what number he got picked, but he got picked by the Atlanta Flames at the time because Calgary Flames were down in Atlanta that year. You know, and after 1980, they moved up to Calgary. But anyways, um, so... After we got drafted, both you know, both um, uh, both of us had a decision to make: uh, were we going to stay with the Canadian Olympic program, or were we going to, um, you know, go back to our cities and get ready for our first training camp? And uh, Paul Reinhardt decided to stay with the uh, Olympic program, and uh, I, you know, th- was uh, with the Canadian program three more weeks, and then I decided, no, I I really want to go and. Uh, I want to play, you know, try and play in the National Hockey League. And, you know, so for, for me, it was it was sort of just amazing. It was a dream come true because I knew, you know, getting drafted by the Leafs, I knew, you know, as a follower of hockey, uh, you know, Daryl Sittler and, and Ronnie Ellis and Borea Salming and, you know, Tiger Williams and some of these players were, you know, the, the top players, uh, you know, on the Leafs at, at that particular time. And, you know, I remember going to training camp and, just being in awe of being around these guys that I had watched on television. And I was 19 years old. I just had turned 19 and uh, you know, I was really out of my league and, and uh, Daryl Sittler came up to me and said, uh, Hey, listen, kid, uh, you know, just uh, do what you do did in junior hockey to get drafted and, and uh, just do those same things and you'll be fine. And anyways, uh, three weeks later after training camp, uh, um, Floyd Smith, my coach, my first coach, came to me and said, Laurie, you made the hockey club get an apartment. Wow. So the first thing I did, I was absolutely thrilled. The first thing I did was go down the you know, out of the dressing room, and there was a whole big long line of a bank of, of pay phones, which don't exist for the most part today. And uh, I put a nickel in and put a collect call into my parents and, you know, shared the joy with my mom and dad. Hey, I made the hockey club. And, and, and you know, really, Todd, what, what had happened was, as a youngster growing up, uh, I come from a Catholic background, so I, I believed in God, I believed in Jesus, and therefore I, I thought I was a Christian because I was Catholic, and because of those things, I believed in God, I believed in Jesus, and I'm a good person. You know, I hadn't killed anyone, I wasn't as bad as, like, you name the person, you know, Hitler, Charles Manson, whatever. Yeah. And and that's sort of that was sort of my thing, you know, I'm, I'm a religious dude. And uh, I, I got to Toronto and, you know, st- started realizing this dream, which was just, uh, you know, I couldn't actually believe that I, you know, uh, made the hockey club and that, you know, these guys actually, once you got to play them uh, with them and got to know them, they were actually pretty normal guys <laughs> like you and me. They just had the God-given ability to play hockey at a high level and they were really decent people. And and so anyways, I remember playing my first games in the Boston Gardens and the Foreman Montreal and those kinds of things, playing against, you know, some of the greats that, uh, you know, Guy Lafleur, Larry Robinson, uh, you know, all, all kinds of these players. And, and I remember, you know, uh, it was about a quarter of the way through the season. So about 20 games into the NHL, you know, and 
I was, if you would, living the dream. But I remember waking up one morning thinking, God, is this all there is? Uh, because, you know, I was 19 years old. I'd realized my dream of playing in the National Hockey League. Uh, I was making good money for the time, like really good money, not, you know, not to, to the degree that the guys are today, but we were making good money. And I had fame. I had notoriety. You know, I'd walk down Young Street in Toronto and people would know who you were. So it stroked your ego, you know, as a, as a young 19-year-old kid. But I was really empty in my heart. And that's the only way to explain it. I remember that morning thinking, so so this is it. Like I've achieved all of my goals that I thought about as a youngster. You know, I was now playing in the National Hockey League. I was a regular player uh, with uh, John Anderson and Rocky Saganuk on the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, I had these things that come with being in the National Hockey League and and having a bit of fame and notoriety, and yet I was very unhappy. And and so fortunately for me, I sat next to Ronnie Ellison and, and Todd, because I was 19 years old, Ronnie was 35, he sat next to me, and I used to think of Ron, like, he is so old. He is a boss. <laughs> like, right? At 35 years old, because he was married, had two kids. I, I had no girlfriend, anything like that. So... You know, but uh, and Ronnie's a dear friend of mine today, and we laugh about that all the time. But, you know, Todd, there was something about Ronnie that was different from the rest of my teammates. And we had a great, great group of guys there in Toronto. But Ronnie seemed to have this peace about him, no matter if we were winning or losing or he was scoring goals or not scoring goals. He, he always seemed to have this same personality. And I, because I sat next to him, I saw it and I talked to him every day, several times a day. And, and, and one day, one morning I came into practice early, got changed and we have a stall for, you know, our, our civvy clothes and we get changed into our underwear and start working on our sticks and skates and different things like that. And Ronnie came in early too. And, and I sort of, you know, talked to him over the side there so nobody else could hear. And I, I, I basically said to Ronnie, I said, Ronnie, I've been watching you since I got here in October. And I said, there's something different about you. And I said, Ronnie, not not weird. I said, but <laughs> you, you have something that I don't have. You have a real peace. And then I went on to explain, you, you know, you know, no matter whether we're winning or losing, you're always the same. You always seem to be, you're not as up and down as many of us are, depending on how things are going. And he told me something, Todd, I'd never heard before. He said, he said, well, Lori, he said, he said, I'm a born again Christian. And he said, I try and use the Bible as a guide for my life. And Todd, I had no idea. I had never even heard that terminology before, a born-again Christian. And, you know, as far as the Bible goes, like growing up in a, in a Catholic home, we never used the Bible. We never opened the Bible at all. We had a big, a big Bible that I used to dust every Saturday. Uh, it was a big King James Version Bible with a leather cover and, and stuff, but nobody ever looked in the Bible. And growing up in, in the church we did in, in Brandon, Manitoba, I always thought, you know, the Bible is for the pastor, the priest, the minister to stand up front and to tell us what it said. I didn't think the average person could understand what's in the Bible. And yeah. so, anyways, through the course of the year, uh, Ronnie uh, had what we call is a chapel program. And uh, I'll, I'll maybe talk about that a little bit later, but I, I had no idea what a chapel program was, but 
it's where where they'd have a chaplain come in to our not our not our locker room but a hotel room and any players that wanted to come could come and and listen to someone talk about what's in the pages of the scriptures well anyways i uh, i eventually came to one of the chapel programs in march of 1980 in quebec city when quebec was in the national hockey league before they had moved to colorado and at that um chapel was about 12 of my teammates and many of those players that I had mentioned their names earlier, they were there as well. And we're sitting around on different beds and stuff. And, and Mel Stevens and Ron Ellis uh, uh, were opening up the Bible. We opened up in prayer and they opened up the Bible and talked about something I'd never heard before, Todd, that the Bible has said some things uh, and we call that Bible prophecy has predicted some things that will come true. And some of these things had already come true and that we could trust the Bible. They talked about, we could trust the Bible because it has a lot to say about our life. Well, that was a revelation to me. I had never heard anything like that before. I didn't know the Bible was current. I didn't know there was anything in the Bible that, you know, I could know or it could help me or anything like that. The the only thing I knew is that I did not have peace in my life. I was everything in my life was great. I was playing regularly in the National Hockey League. I you know was producing points. Uh, the management was happy with me, but yet I was unhappy. And uh, and so um, so anyways, uh, what happened after that is uh, is uh, you know chapel ended and and uh, it was uh, a game day and they said listen. Um, Ronnie said, uh, Mel and I are going to be here. And if anyone wants to talk uh, after you have your pregame meal, come on upstairs. So long and short of it is, is uh, I came upstairs after we had pregame meal and knocked on the door and both Ronnie and Mel were in that room. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about what was said, uh, uh, you know, at the chapel uh, earlier. And uh, I remember sitting on the, on the bed and, quizzing uh ron and, and mel asking him all kinds of things about what was said at chapel and about the bible and stuff and mel Stevens said to me Lori, he said you see any reason why you can't ask christ into your life to be lord and savior and and i was kind of scared when he said that because it was the first time in my life taught i realized because i believed the bible to be true i believed that god was was who he said he was. I believe that Jesus came into the, to the world to die for the, uh, for my sins. But it was the first time in my life that I ever really understood that he died for me. Mm. And it really, the gravity of that just kind of hit me. And it's kind of like, you know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins so that I could have peace with God and Todd, more importantly than than all of that, and and of course the eternal life that comes with it, and and some of those benefits, but most importantly, I wanted what Ron Ellis had. I wanted peace, yeah. and I didn't have peace in my heart. And they said, "Well, Lori, you could just you could ask Christ to come into your life." Because I was saying, like, how, well, how do you do this? How do you become a Christian then? Because I had said to him, like aren't I a Christian? You know, I, I'm Catholic. I'm a good person. I believe in God, believe in Jesus. And they said, no, Lori, the Bible speaks about the fact that, you know, our sins separates us from God and that we have to, uh, you know, come to the point that, uh, that we understand that we need a savior. And at that point in, in my life, uh, I, I was convinced 
this is what I needed. And so just sitting on a, on a bed in Quebec city, I just, uh, I just bowed my head and prayed a simple prayer and just asked God to forgive my sins, to come into my life and make me a new person. And then what happened after that is, uh, you know, when we, when we left, we shook hands and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm, I'm at the door walking out the hotel room. And I said to Ronnie, I said, Ronnie, whatever you do, don't tell my teammates. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want my teammates to find out what, what I had done because I wasn't sure exactly what I had done, but I sort of felt like, you know, this was the right thing. And so, you know, Todd, without going into any more detail, letting you ask some questions, um, was really the start of my, of my faith journey because uh, Mel had given us all, all of us teammates, a Bible with the Toronto Maple Leaf crest and our name on it. And all of a sudden for the first time in my life, I had a desire to read the Bible, yeah. but I didn't know where do you begin? Like, you know, and Mel encouraged me to read the book of John. It talks about the life of Jesus and, you know, I would start, you know, start, start there. And, and then I would ask, I'd call him up because I was back at my cottage in, in Clear Lake. And, and, and that was really the journey. And I've got a lot, you know, there's a whole plethora of stories that, that, that go along with that. But that was really how I came to this realization that I, I, I truly was not a Christian. I was a religious young person. I was sincere, but I was sincerely wrong. I was on the wrong road. And, uh, and it was through the life of Ron Ellis that, that God used Ron's life and the peace that he had to draw me into this relationship with him, into this understanding of what Christ has done. And so if God didn't regenerate my heart, there's no way uh, I would have uh, come to that uh, acknowledgement that day. That's fascinating. And you know what's so, <clears throat> I mean, this this episode is about your story, but what's so fascinating to me is totally different circumstances, but at the core, very similar. I also yeah. grew up Catholic, felt the same way as you. When yeah. I achieved my career goals, there was an emptiness. There was people yeah. that I saw that had something that I didn't. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I came to faith and a guy named Jeff recommended that I start with the book of John okay. <laughs> as I became hungry to read the Bible. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, well, th then you, you played for a whole bunch of different NHL teams. Now I did. Yep. Um, our Toddcast research team had, okay. it had, uh, reported to us a very reliable source in Belleville yeah. uh, <laughs> had indicated to us that uh, if there's any truth to this, that Harold Ballard found out you were a Christian and traded you because he thought you would be too soft. But then we also found out that you have how many penalty minutes? In total, <laughs> I, I have I have over two thousand, but I don't know the exact number. Oh, but, so maybe he was a little well, mistaken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so just to you know, sort of expand on that story I told you earlier. So I I went back to you know my cottage in the summertime, and unbeknownst to me, I had a desire to find out, you know, if 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 God is going to, you know, if God is this person that you know that that has a plan and a blueprint for my life, then. Uh, you know, I need to find out what that is. And, you know, there was lots about the scriptures I didn't understand. So that's why my friend Mel Stevens uh, was a real mentor to me and, and just a dear friend uh, and has been until, you know, until he passed away. But I was starting to starting to wonder, I was starting to think, you know, God, I wonder, like, what's going to happen when people start to find out that I truly am a Christian now? 
And, and, and so, Todd, I don't know if you ever, you know, you know, you bring things before the throne of grace or you just pray about things. And, and for those listening or watching, you know, prayer is just talking to God. That's all it is. I, I, I set aside time in the morning. So oftentimes I, I pray when I'm driving, uh, those kinds of things, or when I'm flying somewhere. So there's lots of places that you can you know, you know, pray and, and talk to God about things. And so I was really concerned about what would happen when, when people found out about my faith. And because I played for an owner that was very bombastic to Harold Ballard in the early eighties was a very outspoken, bombastic individual. And I was really concerned about what would happen. And so what exactly, uh, so I, I was, I was praying and I was thinking, okay, well, this is, how I think God's going to do it. Uh, you know, my second year, go back to Toronto. I'm going to have a really good start, you know, uh, to my second year. Cause my first year was, you know, fairly successful. And, and then a reporter was going to come up and ask me why I'm having such a great start to the year. And I was going to say, well, praise God, I'm a born again, Christian. You know, yeah. this is the reason why. <laughs> okay. And let me tell you what really happened. So I went back to Toronto my second year, uh, early on in the year, I got into a fight. Uh, I, I gave Robbie Fatorik, who ended up being my coach in New Jersey. I gave him an uppercut and, and cut my knuckle on his tooth. And, uh, you know, the, I, I was in Quebec city again and, uh, uh, and the, the doctors in Quebec City sewed it up. I played the rest of the game. We flew back after the game to Toronto. Next day, I go back uh, uh, to practice, and my hand is all swollen up, and the, and the swelling is going up in my arm. Long and short of it, I, I get blood poisoning. So I'm out, for, I'm out for, I don't know, 20 games, so two months. And, uh, you know, my second year, I went back to play, and my second year wasn't, you know, as, as successful on the ice as my first year was. But more importantly, my teammates were starting to notice there was a change in my in 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 how I conducted myself off the ice. Uh, I, I was always a, sort of a hard worker and a hard nosed player. So, you know, my teammates were very accepting of that. But now they noticed that I was different in how I was conducting myself. So I got a chance to talk to the guys about my faith, you know, and uh, because they loved Ronnie Ellis and, uh, you know, I, I it was an easy transition because everybody loved Ron. And, and after my first year, Ron retired. And so I was the only, you know, uh, believer on the team. Uh, but yet my teammates were terrific about that change. But all of a sudden there was some rumblings, uh, you know, about Boschman's found religion mm-hmm. internal. Okay. By the coaches and by the GM. Anyway, the start of the third year, I went home the summer and you know, I'm growing in my faith. I'm learning more about the scriptures. I'm reading more. I'm being discipled. And uh, so I, I start the third year and I got off to a very poor start. And uh, so anyways, uh, 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 Mike Nicolak is our coach and, and Mike comes comes in to me uh, after practice and he says, uh, yeah, Laurie, um, yeah, we, uh, we'd like you to go and see Dr. So-and-so at the hospital at um, down near the uh, Maple Leaf Gardens there. And uh, I, I said, Who, who's Dr. So-and-so? Well, he's our, our team psychiatrist. Well, <laughs> back in 1980, there was no team psychiatrist. Okay. 
But anyways, they wanted me to go see a psychiatrist because they thought, okay, this Washman's got like, he's got too much religion here now. And that's really affecting his play. And he, you know, that's why he's not playing well. So I went and talked to the psychiatrist and was in his office for about an hour. What happened after that was just crazy. Two days later, my coach of the National Hockey League team, Mike Nickluck, picks up the phone, calls my dad at his work in Brandon, Manitoba, gets my dad on the phone, says, Joe, to Mike Mike Nickluck. My dad knew, you know, who the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs was. And he said, yeah, we sent your son, uh, we sent Laurie to see Dr. So-and-so on, on Wednesday. And uh, the, we got the report back today, and the report said that Laurie's brainwashed. Is there <laughs> anything you and... And Mrs. Boschman can do to help him. Wow. Well, that night, my parents called me because I Mike Nicolak didn't tell me. He called my parents first. And uh, they called me in tears. They thought I joined a cult. They thought I was out of my mind. It was just, and this is in the National Hockey League in 1980. Wow. And so anyways, then... You know, the media got a hold of some of this stuff. And and there was a lot of articles about, you know, can you be a born-again Christian and play hockey? And can you fight? And can you play on Sundays? And all this kind of stuff went on for several months. And it got to the point there where I, I asked uh, uh, our general manager, Jerry McNamara, I said, I uh, you know, I really I really need to get traded here because, you know. And, in fact, my uh, Bill, Bill Waters was uh, – Bill Waters and Ellen Eagleson were, you know, the the two people that were kind of managing my stuff offline. And Bill Waters, my, my agent, said to me, he said, Laurie, he said, I've been calling around trying to trade you and no one wants you. They think you're a religious zealot. <laughs> so, so it was crazy. It was a, a gong show and I got traded in, in March of, uh, what was it, 81. I got traded to the Oilers and, uh, and uh, and so, anyways, it was uh, it was it it, it, I, it was really necessary for me to get out of Toronto because of all the all the stuff that was going on. But uh, but you know, I I thought that uh, Todd, it's interesting because there was a time uh, I remember thinking, you know, you 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 commit your life to Christ, and and then Christ is going to take what you love most away. Mm. But but you know what. Um, what was interesting is, is the change that had taken place in two years in my heart. I just thought, you know what, you know, this person in Jesus Christ is real because even though that was a absolutely frightful thought, because I, you know, I was 20 years old. Um, I, I really thought, you know, what, what I have added or what not I've added, what God has added through Christ in my life and this peace that I now have, uh, I think he'll help me no matter what. But you know, it turned out to turn turned out uh, to be different than I thought. I thought my career was over, and I, I went on to play another twelve years after that. You know, to have a fourteen year career, and for that, I can just you know thank God for that. Oh, and and what a testimony or a testament to the fact of like what you just said of how real he is, how real that experience is in your heart mm-hmm. that it holds firm amidst all that worldly stuff of, Oh, you've changed your crazy brainwashed, all this kind of stuff. And right. you know, celebrityism and all that, that that's right. uh, just the truth of who he is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, okay. Well, I'd really like to talk about how you got involved in hockey ministries international after you retired, but before you jump in there throughout your, as you grew in your faith and played for all these different teams, yeah. um, do you, do you, 
you know, without naming anybody specifically, mm-hmm. but do you have a, a testimony of somebody on one of those teams that, that asked you a similar question or that you were able to share your faith or did that more sort of come after when you got into HMI? Uh, no, you know what, uh, uh, Todd, throughout my career, because uh, when when this happens to a person, like when when Christ in, starts to change your heart, and the Bible says to take a heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh, one one that is geared towards Christ, He starts to make changes in your life in a lot of way, uh, in language, in. In, in how you conduct yourself off the ice. Do you do some of the things that everybody else is doing or are you different, not weird, but different good. And, 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 and is this, uh, you know, change of heart, uh, this, this, uh, following Christ, is it real or are you just a hypocrite? And for me, you know, I, I put, uh, you know, I, when I got to uh, Winnipeg, I, I got married and married a, just a wonderful, uh, lady in, in, uh, you know, uh, Nancy Friesen and, you know, became my wife and, and, and you put guardrails in your life for a lot of things. So I had tr- tr- tremendous opportunities throughout my career, um, in, in the guys in early in Toronto, when the guys used to see how I conducted my life off the ice and they, they noticed the difference. I wasn't, you know, drinking, uh, to the extent that I was before. In fact, I, you know, I chose not to drink and I know that's not, you know, the Bible, there's no prohibition against drinking. It just says you don't do not drink too much wine. So I just thought, you know what, I, I don't need to do this because that was uh, something I did, you know, a fair bit before I knew Christ. And, you know, my language was different, you know, and the way I talked about my wife was different. And, and what I did on the road was different than so. So there's changes that take place that you get a lot of opportunity to talk about the faith that that you possess you know? And, uh, so I had lots of opportunities to talk to guys and, and, and yes, there, there were some players that, that God used, um, you know, myself to, um, uh, uh, you know, to proclaim the word, I, I can't change anyone's heart or move anyone, uh, to a position of faith, but God will choose to use us, uh, fallen vessels to communicate the love of Christ. And so I was quite willing to, uh, to proclaim that and to attest to the difference that he can make in your life. And I tried to be, uh, a, 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 um, you know, a, a faithful steward uh, in my time as a hockey player. And uh, so, so yes, there, there were some people, not a, not a lot, but there were some people that, that, uh, that too uh, would, would say to me after that, uh, you know, it was through something they saw in my life or something that we had said, uh, you know, that uh, attracted them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, so, yeah. so, you know, that's why I want to encourage people, you know, hearing this or, or watching it that, uh, you know, it's, it's important how we live our life. It's, it's not like there's a, a, a direct difference, Todd, in a profession of faith and a possession of faith. If you possess this relationship with Christ, there should be some evidence or some fruit. The Bible talks about that, that, uh, that, uh, that is evident. And I don't mean we should quit our jobs and and join Christian ministries. It just means that, you know, in our neighborhoods where we live or in our jobs where we live, there should be some, you know, you know, something different. And especially in the culture in which we live today, I think we're going to be challenged and and called out on that even more so as, as Christ followers.
Yeah. And some are called to quit and get into ministry full time, sure. but then others, you know, like right. yourself, you, 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 you stay in there, you stay in that organization. Who's going to reach guys in a, in a dressing room. If you don't know the culture, the lifestyle, you know, there's a relatability. So it's really important sure. that we all have our role. Um, so <clears throat> how, how did you get involved in uh, hockey ministries international mm-hmm. and, um, can you just talk about that and then and then uh, and then just give a little blurb about what what an NHL chapel looks like today? Sure. Well, uh, in, in, in 1985, playing for the Winnipeg Jets, one of my teammates was a Christian. His name was Doug Smale, and he had been involved with Hockey Ministries and Hockey Ministries International is an organization that's been around for 45 years now. And they do hockey camps and clinics uh, in Canada, U.S., Sweden, Switzerland, Czech, Slovak. We used to be in the Ukraine. Uh, we used to ha- have something in Poland, but uh, due to the uh, you know the unfavorable climates in those countries, now we don't have camps there. But uh, uh, they're hockey camps for boys and girls aged nine through seventeen, uh, and they're camps where we talk about you know the fundamentals of hockey, skating, passing, shooting, puck handling, and how to do that better. But also the fundamentals. Uh, about what's found in the pages of scripture, the fundamentals of the Bible and how we can know Jesus in a personal way. So Dougie Smale had asked me if, if I would help out with a hockey camp and, and I had been doing a, a Christian camp out in the Orangeville area called uh, with an organization called Teen Ranch. So I had been involved ever since I became a Christian and I never heard of hockey ministries. And then in, uh, in 1985, I started helping them out. So, uh, Anyways, when I retired, long and short of it is, I did two or three camps a summer. And uh, when I retired in 93, so uh, 30 years ago, Don Lismer, uh, who is the president of Hockey Ministries, asked me if I wanted to go into, uh, you know, this Christian work on a full-time basis. And uh, so anyways, long and short of it is, my wife, uh, uh, Nancy, and I decided uh, we would we would do this. And so uh, I've been I've been in full-time Christian work for, for 30 years with hockey ministries. I've, I've, I've known about hockey ministries, uh, for, uh, 37, uh, 37 years. And, uh, I, I've, uh, and, and Todd, you want to, you ask about chapels. Um, so I, I have been coordinating chapel programs for NHL players for 20 plus years with different teams across the, a hockey landscape uh, hockey ministries as an organization we run about 400 chapels across 40 different leagues from the nhl american hockey league ohl uh, uh european leagues east coast hockey league uh college hockey uh, um, uh saskatchewan junior alberta junior so we have different um uh different individuals that that uh, are the heads of those particular groups and then we uh, we have different chaplains in those different cities. And so where there's an interest by players, and there's a tremendous interest by players today, it has grown, uh, you know, back from the 1980s. And, uh, and, 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 and I came to faith in Christ through a chapel program back in, in March of 1980. And yeah. that was just the beginning of it. And, uh, and so I've been leading uh, the chapel programs uh, at the NHL level for interested players for a lot of years, myself and my colleague, Mark Propelia. And I've done a, a chapel program for the Ottawa Senators for, again, 15 years or so. And we have a regular chapel program uh, after practices. We don't do it on a game day. 
and uh, and we meet in a room in, in the Canadian Tire Center and interested players come after and we uh, just open up the scriptures and talk about how we hope there's something relevant in the Bible and we believe that there is because if God created us, then he knows how we are and, and he knows whether you're uh, an NHL player or whether you're uh, uh, you know, a surgeon, a construction worker, a real estate agent, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, uh, he knows, uh, he, he, you know, he loves us and he knows what our needs are. And and that's found in the pages of Scripture. So we try and, uh, as often as we can, we try and have these chapels and we communicate uh, the love of God to the players and we're able to walk alongside them through some through some joyous times and through some difficult times, because all of us have both of those things happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's things in life to rejoice about and there's things of life, uh, you, you know, that, that are very difficult that, uh, that we have to encounter and we will, we will encounter them as Christ followers as well. The Bible doesn't say you come to faith in Jesus and everything is great. Uh, no, it says that he is with us in the midst, but uh, that we're to take up our cross daily and follow him because we will experience the pain and suffering and death and, and all of those things. But, you know, the great, the great hope we have, we have this, you know, this anchor, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. And, and this hope is as our faith in Christ that when, when, when this life is over, there is eternal life yeah. uh, in in heaven with with Christ, and so that's the great hope that we have. Uh, it's not this universalism that says everyone who dies, everyone goes to heaven. Well, that's the you know that's the, that's what many people believe, but that's not what the Bible teaches, and and that's because there's there's a tremendous ignorance of what the Bible of what what's in the scriptures, and and so um, yeah. uh, so it's a great hope. Yeah, a great hope, and and why it's so important. To, to share right for us as a ministry to encourage people to share because of that hope that we have. Um, Lori, you got a, you got a story about Muhammad Ali. You're willing to share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, I do. We, uh, when I was with the Oilers, uh, uh, Mark Messier's uncle actually worked, uh, did something, uh, for Muhammad Ali. And, uh, and so uh, when we were in Los Angeles one time when I was with the Oilers, so I, I got to say it was like 82. Uh, it was either 82 or 83. And uh, anyways, uh, we were staying at the Marriott Hotels and our whole team and uh, and uh, the coaches, equipment guys, all that kind of stuff, uh, they had arranged it for us to go to Muhammad Ali's house. Now, of course, at that particular time, Wayne Gretzky was, uh, you know, he, he was – he was a rock star with, uh, you know, he's on the cover of the Sports Illustrated. He had met Muhammad Ali in the summertime doing something in L.A. So, so, so Wayne had 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 met him, and so, anyways, they arranged for for uh, for, for these Marriott chariots to go to his house, and so it was absolutely fasc- fascinating. Off of uh, sort of uh, uh, Beverly Hills, like right in the heart of downtown Los Angeles, there was a, a gated. Uh, a gated compound uh, that there was 13 houses in this gated compound. And anyways, he had a massive property and we were told that one of Mick Jagger's properties, like was across the street, Jane Fonda, who was a big, you know, movie star kind of thing at the time. She had one of the houses in this particular area as well. And there was a lot of people working outside, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, people of Mexican descent working outside on on the 
on the properties and stuff like that. But anyway, so we go in this house and he come, comes out, comes shuffling out. And he just started to, that particular time was just starting to have a little bit of that dementia. He'd finished, you know, boxing and all that kind of stuff. So he came out and, you know, black plants, a short white t-shirt and, you know, his slippers on. And he had a bunch of, you know, a bunch of, uh, uh, floaters hanging around him there in his house and our whole team and, all those people in those two Marriott buses fit in the foyer of his, of his home there while we were waiting. So we go in his house and, and I was the last person, you know, in, in his house, close this big, big, huge door. And so anyways, he, you know, he sees Wayne and gives him a handshake and he starts kind of telling us some stories. And then he says, he said, who, is there any one of you here who's a Christian? And this is after all the stuff you know, from that, that became public about my faith and it was across Canada and all that kind of stuff. Well, the next place I get traded to was Edmonton. So, you know, all the guys, my teammates point to me and says, yeah, Boston, (laughs) I'm right by, by the door and stuff. So then he gets, he says to one of his floaters friends, Muhammad Ali says, he says, go get a Bible. And so one of his floaters goes and finds a Bible and he gets me to read in Exodus where it says in, in, in the, in the 10 commandments where it says, do not make any graven images unto, uh, unto yourself. And so Muhammad Ali was telling us that he's going to go on a worldwide crusade and tell people that Jesus was not Caucasian, that Jesus was, you know, he was probably a Middle Eastern descent. And uh, it it was kind of like, you know, and and so he's telling us this, he's going to go on a world. And so afterwards we get back in the Marriott chariot and, uh, and uh, the guys were saying like, what was that all about? (laughs) Like It was the weirdest thing. And he never did go on a crusade to tell people like he was a Muslim. Yeah. But, but I mean, it just makes sense. You know, you see pictures and you see a crown of thorns on Jesus' head and, Oftentimes you see him as a, a Caucasian Jesus, yeah. you know, and, you know, being from the Middle East, there, there's a good chance that he was kind of olive skinned or dark skinned, uh, you know, uh, uh, person. But I mean, the fact that he was going to go on a worldwide crusade, like guys were going, gosh, like, what's that all about? And I was going, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we got a picture outside of Muhammad Ali's house. And uh, b- again, because I was the, the last guy in, I was the first guy in the front of the picture and it's with Muhammad Ali and, and all my teammates and stuff. And it's kind of a, kind of a, a fun memory and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, and then he came the next day in Los Angeles when we played the Kings, he came to the game, came in our dressing room and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it was really, really, really quite sad. in the fact that, uh, you know, this, uh, his, his great boxer had been uh, so debilitated by, uh, I think it was uh, Parkinson's disease. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and he just uh, like, he was like punch drunk, you know, he was just so, but uh, that was, that was a fun I got lots of those experiences, especially playing in Edmonton because, you know, Wayne Gretzky was the most notable hockey person in the hockey world at that time. And so everybody wanted a piece of him, especially when to, when you went to Los Angeles. So we got a chance to meet a lot of interesting people as a result of that. That's a, that's a great story. I bet, I bet there's many, many more. Yeah. Um, 
Lori, we're, we're uh, starting to, to run out of time, but I just uh, I had another one more question for you. But I just wanted to throw some nostalgia to you, because when the era where you played for the Toronto Maple Leafs would have been the time where for me as a kid now, I have sticks and a skate because I'm Canadian and, and all that, yep. but I never played professional hockey. I played that thing right behind me, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I dug in and found some of these. Oh, yeah, okay. And for those of you listening, these are the 80 and 81 hockey cards of Lori yep. Boschman. You got any of these yourself? Yeah, I, I I do. the The companies do do send you some cards, and uh, you know, and because you know, we raised three boys and stuff, and they were kind of interested in hockey, and and so I I, I do have some of those. But uh, you know, Todd, that and about a dollar fifty will get you a coffee at Tim Hortons, so uh, <laughs> they're not worth a lot. So. Oh, you know what? I I just was having you on the show, and I thought, man, I know I have. Uh a Tupperware box with hockey cards from when I was okay. a kid. Cause I don't throw anything away. And okay. people, I know there was an era where people were selling stuff and I just, whatever, I just never did. And, and I thought, and sure enough, I got them. I got multiple. This was a good year for me then. Cause I got three of you here in 1980. So okay. one of them's mint. The other two are creased. <laughs> um, so, okay. What, what does the next, uh, what's the next little while? What's the next month or so look like for you business wise, like with hockey ministries and stuff? What's what's happening? Well, we we've got uh, in in two weeks, we uh, are fortunate that in conjunction with the NHL All-Star Game, which is in Sunrise, Florida this year, we have an opportunity to have some uh, 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 current and former players come and talk about their faith and what that means to them. So we're going to be heading down to Florida in a couple of weeks and, and facilitate that breakfast on Saturday morning during the all-star uh, weekend. And, um, and, and so usually we, we get a, uh, you know, uh, two, three, 400 people, depending sometimes a thousand people. And, uh, so we're going to be doing that. That's sort of on, on the radar right now. And, uh, and, you know, you have to continue to plan for, uh, for, for hockey camps that, uh, you know, that happen in the summer, but, uh, all the registration takes place starting, uh, starting now already. So, but that's something that a uh, head office in Montreal deals with more than, than, than I deal with. But, uh, th- those are just some of the things, of course, we, we facilitate and talk about our, our chapel programs on a regular basis, which, uh, that's what I spend a lot of time doing. And, um, so, uh, so that's, what's, that's, what's going to be happening in the next uh, short while anyway. Excellent. Uh, final question for you, Lori. Um, you know how there's sometimes there's people in our in our lives that that seem so far away from even wanting to have a small conversation. They, yep. uh, you know, and we think about them, and we know that you know you just can't you just can't bring stuff up. So you just you still you hang out with them, you just love on them, and you know you just don't broach that subject till they're ready. If there was somebody maybe that you played with that you never had this conversation and, and it's been years and years and years and, and then you get a phone call and they're like, Lori, I, you know, I, I just want to have a conversation. I'm, I'm really searching. It's been years and years. What would you say to them? Well, I, I, I would, you know, of course I would, I would, first of all, I'd, 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 I'd want to talk to them about how they got to that position because a lot of times, Todd, what happens is, is, is you run into people and people say like, like Lori, I'm, I'm religious too, or I, I'm a Christian like you, but I'm just not as religious as you. 
And, 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 you know, what that means to the average person is probably what it meant to me as a, as a 19 year old is I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I don't think it's a fable. I, I, but you know, I'm just not as committed or I don't have what you have, or, you know, my life's a mess. Like life beats all of us up, whether it be in, you know, personal terms with relationships or health or jobs or money, all, all of those things are, are, are things that we have to deal with and things that are, are, um, uh, common to all of us. But, but, but something that, you know, Christ gives to us is, is Christ promises in the word of God that he gives us peace in the midst of the storms of life. And he is with us. He hasn't abandoned us. And we can ask those tough questions, God, where are you? And, you know, and, and, and the answers are found in the pages of scripture. And it's important for us to know the scripture so that we can point them to them and pray that God would be gracious enough to open their hearts, uh, open their hearts to the truth that's found in the Bible and the truth that's found. And that's something that only God can do. We're not able to do that. We're not able to change the heart of, of men and women and boys and girls, but we're able to just be a mouthpiece or communicate the love of Christ or to demonstrate um, that, that caring through our lives or, um, or, or, or through that commitment uh, to, uh, to walk alongside of them through that difficult situation. But it, but it is very tough because sometimes people don't necessarily look to God uh, when things are sideways, but sometimes when they're exasperated and there's no place else to go, they go, okay, well now I'm, I'm open to something. And, and, and Lori, I know you're religious. You know, what do you say to this? So I, I, I have conversations with people all the time about, you know, well, if, if, if God is good, then why does he allow things like we see in the news every day with Putin, uh, you know, trying to expand the territory of Russia in Ukraine and the amount of people that die and why doesn't God intervene? And, and the Bible speaks to all of this, you know, the, the fact that, listen, we, we live in a sinful, broken world, and there's sometimes the, the choices and decisions that men and women make, uh, uh, you, know, you know, God allows that to happen. But the Bible speaks to the fact, Todd, that he is sovereign. He is in control of everything that is happening. And, and like the story in the Bible, you know, in Genesis of, of Joseph and Joseph's brothers who, you know, Joseph's brothers were jealous of him and, you know, they wanted to kill him. And then they decided to, you know, um, you know, dig a pit and throw him in the pit. And they took this coat of many colors that he had and, and, you know, put blood on it and brought it back to his, you know, father and said, uh, Joseph's dead. He, you know, and then God, you know, there was some Midianites traders that came and, and, uh, you know, Joseph was put in prison, um, you know, and, um, and eventually, you know, uh, you know, uh, right was elevated to, you know, Potiphar's Potiphar's household was next to Pharaoh. And, and, and so anyways, that whole story, you know, sometimes what, what sometimes happens is that, you know, the sovereignty of God, God can take a situation that's very bad and use it for our good. All things, 
work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So sometimes even the the difficult things in life can be used by God for our good. And sometimes through the difficult things in life, they will help us to cry out to God, uh, cry out to God for help. God, if you're real, please help me or show yourself. And maybe, you know, they'll, that will bring Todd by who they know, or, you know, Lori by who's this religious freak from hockey that I remember, you know, or this guy who, you know, went through because, uh, you know, we don't have time to expand on this, unfortunately, but, you know, I, I lost my first wife to cancer at 41 and, you know, uh, through, you know, three young kids and, 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 but, but God doesn't make any promises for us as Christians uh, that we won't go through these difficult things, that we won't experience hardship, that we won't experience uh, health difficulties and, and those kinds of things. But the fact that he is with us in the midst of it, and we can draw great encouragement from the pages of scriptures, but you have to have that faith. And, you know, that faith comes from, you know, hearing and knowing the word of God and knowing that God is who he said he is. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. And uh, and and he will be with us to the end. And, and, and the great news is, Todd, is that when this heart stops beating for those of us who truly are in Christ, then real life begins. Yeah, and that's that's a that's a great promise. Like where there is no sin, no cancer, no heartache, no, none of these things that we go through today that all of us uh, experience. Um, and, it, you know, to to it, it is pure, uh, you know, heaven, what we consider to be heaven. Right. And, uh, and and so anyways, it's it's a very complex question, depending on the on the circumstance of the situation. But uh, oftentimes when people, you know, reach out to uh to uh, to us, it, it, it's sometimes out of desperation. Sometimes they know we care. Uh, it, it, it's sometimes because they know we're religious, and uh, for a variety of those reasons. But for whatever reason, it's just to articulate truth to them, to show them you care, show them the love of God, and and only only God can change the heart of men and women, not us. Amen. Amen. Thanks very much, Lori. Thanks for your time to, uh, today, and uh, it was really an honor to meet you, man. Uh, you're welcome. My, my pleasure, Todd. All that success and something was still missing. Interesting, the peace that Lori saw in Ron Ellis. Are you carrying that peace? Is there people in your life that you see that are carrying that peace if you're carrying it I encourage you to share it and if you see it in people I encourage you to ask them about it sometimes words do not need to be spoken as the peace of the Lord flows out of people be blessed my friends